Welcome to the Just for Special Education Teachers podcast, the place to be if you just want to connect with other special educators, if you want to gain insights and strategies, or obtain resources to help you in your journey as you grow as a special educator. This week's episode builds on last week's episode. Last week, we talked about getting those classroom systems set up because for many teachers, last week was the first week of school. So you got your rules, your routines, your procedures, and your class-wide behavior incentive in place, your reinforcement system, your positive behavior intervention system. You've got that in place. So now you find out that it's working for most of your students, but not all of them. And we all know that most of our tier one reinforcement systems, positive behavior intervention systems will work for about 80% of the class, of your class. But then what about that other 20%? That other 20% might need a little more support. And we tend to call those tier two supports. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, episode 13, it's important to listen to that episode first and then listen to this episode. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 13 already, I recommend going back and listen to that episode. Now, before we can implement effective tier two supports, there are some things that we need to know. So here's what we're going to talk about today. So first, let's look at the five key components of behavior analysis, because in order to come up with the appropriate tier two support, we need to understand the key components of behavior analysis. I'm going to go through each one and then I'm going to dive a little bit deeper and talk more specifically about each component. So the first component, we know that behavior serves a purpose. Second, we know that behavior is related to the environment. Third, we know that altering behavior requires changes. Fourth, the new behavior must be reinforced. And five, reactive strategies will need to be developed. Okay, so those are the top five key components of behavior analysis. Now let's break them down a little bit more. So behavior serves a purpose. What do I mean by that? Well, behavior is a form of communication. So anytime a student is behaving inappropriately, they are communicating something to you. And it's our job to figure out what is it that they're communicating to me? Why are they behaving this way in this situation? Okay. So what are the possible functions of the behavior? So when we say the function of the behavior, we mean what is the reason for that behavior, the why behind the behavior. That's what we have to figure out. And in the educational terminology, we call that, we tend to call that function. So 
What are the possible reasons for the behavior? Well, the behavior is going to either be one to obtain or to get something or two to escape or avoid something. So you may ask, well, to obtain or escape what? So generally it's going to be one of three things. It's either going to be to obtain or escape social attention. That could be from an adult or a peer. Two, for stimulation or for sensory reasons. The need to move, the need to satisfy your sensory stimulation. And third, to obtain or escape a tangible, um, something tangible or an activity. So what I mean by that is something tangible. Maybe the student wants to work on the computer. Okay, and now the assignment in class is to do five algebra problems on pencil and paper. Well, but maybe that student doesn't want to do algebra. Maybe that student isn't very good at algebra and the student would rather be doing work on the computer or playing on the computer. So the student wants the computer. So the the student's behavior, um, that student may act out because right now the student does not have access to the computer, but is being instructed to do something else. So that's what we mean by tangible, an object. The student wants to obtain an object. Or the student may want to escape an activity. Maybe this student does not like math. Maybe math is challenging for this particular student and so therefore they don't like to do math. Maybe they don't have the skills, the appropriate skills to do what is being asked in this particular math class. And so therefore you may see a, an inappropriate behavior. Okay, so that's what we mean by a tang- something tangible or an activity, either trying to get something tangible or to escape having to deal with something tangible or to be able to do a particular activity or to escape or prevent doing an activity. Okay, now it's very important to note that the behavior may be associated with the need for an academic support, okay? And that's what the reason that we are going to focus on the key components is because we're going to need to, we're going to need to figure that out in order to be able to appropriately support the student in the classroom and to improve the behavior. We really need to figure out the reason, the why behind the behavior. So let's say there is a student, you have a student and you're transitioning from English language arts to math. And you notice that every time during math, when you're transitioning from the direct instruction to the guided instruction to the independent instruction, when it comes to that independent instruction, that transition, the student always gets up and starts to walk around the classroom. 
and it's hard for you to get the student seated again and the student doesn't want to do any work during that time. Well, what would that be? That sounds like then that what that behavior for that student, the purpose it's serving is to avoid doing math during that independent work time. And so the question would be why? Because we have to fi- would have to figure out how to support that student during that time. Is it because the student lacks the skill to do the math? And if so, how are we going to support that student so that they can do math during the independent work time? Could it be that we will provide the student with notes? Could it be that the student needs maybe a calculator during this time? A number line? We have to figure out, we would need to figure out what can I do to support this student during math during this time so that we don't continue to have the disruptions during this specific time, math and math every day. Okay, so that's just an example of what it might look like if a student is trying to escape or avoid a particular task or activity. All right, so next, two, the second key component. Behavior is related to the environment. So we always have to take the environment into consideration. There will always be environmental considerations. So the questions that we ask to determine if it is an environmental consideration is, Well, is that behavior occurring only in certain environments? Does it occur in particular physical or social settings? Does it occur whenever there's a specific type of instruction? So say, for example, when the teacher is lecturing, or does it only happen when the teacher plays a video during class? Does it only happen when the student is asked to pair with a partner? Does it only happen when the student works in a group? When is it happening? Environmental considerations. Does it happen during a particular time of day? Do we always see that there are behavior issues in the morning? Maybe the student didn't get enough sleep. Does it always happen in the afternoon? So those are questions to ask when we want to know, um, is the behavior related to, could it be related to the environment? Could it be happening because there is no degree of choice for the student during this particular time? So what I mean by that is maybe there should be, there's a writing assignment and the student is required to write three paragraphs. Well, how are they able to demonstrate in that assignment and write the paragraphs? Do they have an option to write pen and paper on, or do they have an option to do it on the computer? Is there a choice for them? Because one might be easier than the other for that particular student, especially if that student has fine motor skills challenges where Maybe if they write for too long with their hands, 
they start to get cramps in their hands and it's very uncomfortable for them. So do they have an option to do the work on computer in a Word document? That could be a, be a possibility and would that alleviate the issue? Next, we know that whenever we want to alter a student's behavior, um, that is going to require changes. And in order to change the behavior, we have to develop a functionally equivalent replacement behavior. We call that a FERB, F-E-R-B, functionally equivalent replacement behavior. So in other words, what can the student do that is more appropriate but will still allow him or her to obtain the desired result. Because we need intermediate steps that will eventually get the student to the ultimate goal. It's going to take some time. So what are those intermediate steps? What replacement behavior can we live with in the meantime? Okay, and we wanna be careful not to set the student up for failure. So if a student, let's say for example, has attention deficit disorder and is required to stay in a high school block period for 90 minutes. And so this particular student might need to take breaks. So what the student does now, instead of getting permission, is the student just gets up, walks around the classroom, um, goes to the garbage, goes to the faucet to get water without asking for permission. And while the student is doing that, he's distracting other students. Okay, so that is not a, an acceptable behavior. So what we want to do is come up with an acceptable replacement behavior. So what could we do instead? So if we know the student has challenges staying in class and staying seated for the whole 90 minute period, then can we work some breaks into the period for the student and what might that look like? Maybe we'll create structured break time where the student will have a break pass and you and the student will maybe get two break passes throughout the period and when they when they ask for that break pass or they use that break pass, they can go to the back of the room and they can walk in the back of the classroom for two to three minutes as long as they do not distract other students in the classroom. Or they can take a restroom break and they can go to the restroom and they can be out of the class for two to three minutes, as long as they come right back. Or they can run an errand for the teacher during that time. So just thinking, uh, being creative, but this is just an example of what the student might do. And that can be the replacement behavior until and if this is even possible, that the, the student can sit in the classroom in the desk for the whole 90 minute period. This may be asking too much for a student that um, is hyperactive, has attention deficit disorder. And so this may need to be something that whenever there is a 90 minute block period, that this student will need to have the structured break pass. But as long as the student is doing it with permission and following the rules 
and staying within the the boundaries that are created, which is not distracting your classmates, then it's something that can work. It's a replacement behavior, right? Because the students we the student is going to meet their need one way or the other. So we we want to support them in meeting their need in an appropriate way. So they're not just doing it the best way that they know how to do it, getting their needs met, which is good for them, but it's not good for the other students in the classroom. It's not great for the teacher because it's distracting the other students in the class and it's it's interrupting the instruction, which has a negative impact on everyone. Okay, so those are uh, would be that would be an example of a replacement behavior. I also had actually when I was director of special education for small charter school in the Bay Area, California, there was a student, this was an elementary school student that would get uh, very frustrated during certain times of the day. And especially if the student didn't understand, um, sometimes it was when she didn't understand how to do a particular assignment. So also sometimes when her classmates said things that that she didn't like. So what she would do was she would get up and she would scream and um, distract the rest of the class, disrupt the class, or she would get up and she would hit the student. So we gave her a replacement behavior. When you get frustrated, okay, rather than screaming in the classroom or getting up out of your chair and hitting another student, what I want you to do, we, uh, we allowed her to vent her frustration by ripping paper. So we had a bucket with paper in it and she was allowed when she got frustrated to go to that bucket and get a piece of paper and rip the paper. That was the replacement behavior. Now, in the meantime, while that is the acceptable replacement behavior, this student was receiving counseling services so that she could learn the appropriate coping skills so that eventually she would not need that replacement behavior, but she would be able to use an appropriate coping skill breathing techniques or whatever the counselor would work with this student on she would be able to use that coping skill when she got frustrated or when well when she got frustrated by from other students and things that they were saying or when she got frustrated because she didn't know how to use and how to do a particular assignment so remember that we can't just have the expectation that student will stop distracting the class student will stop getting up out of his seat and distracting other students we need to come up with a replacement behavior something that student can do in the classroom that is not going to disrupt the rest of the class while we are either building the student's academic skill so that they will no longer need the support so they won't be frustrated when they can't do an assignment or build the student's social emotional skills 
so that they can learn the appropriate coping skills so that they are no longer disrupting the class. We need to make sure that we are reinforcing that new behavior. Next, the new behavior must be reinforced. So we're going to, how are we going to reinforce this behavior? Well, one way could be some type of reward. If the student uses the alternate behavior, the the functionally equivalent replacement behavior, we want to reinforce that. And how you do it is up to you. Oftentimes, it's it can be in the form of a reward. You earn a snack at the end of the week or whatever. You earn free time the last five minutes of class, whatever that is. And I have had the question that, well, isn't that a bribe? Like you are giving the student a reward in order to behave in the classroom in a way that they should be behaving anyway. Okay. And so here is what, uh, so when you give a child an incentive there, here's how I look at it. Okay. And then here's the way that you can determine, is it a bribe or is it a reinforcement? Okay. Now bribes are unplanned and they're offered to stop an undesired behavior. So let me give you an example. You're out at the grocery store, and I'm sure you've seen this before, and maybe there's a child that wants a piece of candy, and he's walking down the grocery store aisles with his mom, and he asks for a piece of candy, and mom says, no, you've had enough sweets for today, no candy today. And, And the kid has a temper tantrum falls out in the store in the middle of the aisle and has a temper tantrum because the the, because the child can't have the candy bar that he wanted and so the mom is embarrassed and so she says okay I'll give you the candy bar you can have a candy bar which candy bar do you want okay that is a bribe because it's unplanned and it's offered to prevent the child from having a temper tantrum in the store. We don't want that because that reinforces that very same behavior, right? Because, hey, then the child is thinking, well, all I need to do whenever I want something, whenever we go to the grocery store, I'm just going to have a temper tantrum. And I know when I have that temper tantrum, mom is going to eventually cave in and she is going to let me have what I want. That is a bribe. An incentive is planned. We've planned it. This is the conversation that mom is going to have with her child before they go into the store. If you do XYZ when we're in the store, then I will allow you to have a candy bar. You will be able to pick the candy bar that you want and you will be able to eat that candy bar whenever after dinner, you'll be able to have it for dessert. You can bring it to school uh, with you in your lunch bag tomorrow, but it's planned before. So we talked about it before. We have laid down the rules. This is what you need to do in order to earn the candy bar. The child does exactly what mom tells them to do in the grocery store. When they leave the grocery store, he's, he's able to get the candy bar, right? 
So here's an example of an incentive. This is not a bribe, but this is an incentive. Same scenario. Mom establishes the rules before we go into the store. The rules are, you will not run in the store. My eyes should always be able to see you while we are in the store. So no wandering off. And there is no crying in the store. If you follow those rules and you don't do any of those things, I will allow you to choose a candy bar. You will be able to take the candy bar with you to school tomorrow in your lunch bag, or you will be able to eat the candy bar tomorrow for dinner because you already had your your dessert for today. So you'll be able to have this candy bar tomorrow after you eat your dinner. We have established those rules beforehand. We want the child to follow those rules. If the child follows those rules, then the child earns the incentive, which is the candy bar. That is not a bribe. Okay, so understand the difference. So we do want to make sure that when we are working with students that we are not we are not bribing them <laughs> that we are not accepting bribes okay we're not accepting bribes but we're providing incentives planned in advance the student knows what the expectations are and as long as they follow and meet those expectations then they will get the incentive so next, the fifth component, reactive strategies. What if the problem behavior occurs again? Well, so reactive strategies will include reminding the student, prompting the student to switch to whatever that replacement behavior is. So if we go back to the elementary school child that gets frustrated when maybe her classmates say something that she doesn't like, when she's frustrated, we remind her, ah, remember, okay, there's your bucket and there's your paper over there. Are you feeling, are you feeling frustrated right now? You can go ahead and use your bucket, remember, and get your paper out of the bucket and you can rip the paper, okay? So that's the, uh, we're reminding them of that replacement behavior because it will take a little bit of time to um, kick in before it becomes second nature. It will take some time. So they, they'll need to be reminded. And reflecting and, or debriefing and uh, additional practice of the replacement behavior. So maybe when the student isn't in the state of frustration, like we're, we're practicing, remember, remember when you get upset, when you get upset, when you get frustrated, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get out of your seat and you're going to walk over to that container over there and you're going to get your paper and you can stand there and you can rip your paper and then you put the paper wherever you put the paper in the garbage, you put the paper back in the container and then you come back and you sit down in your seat. Okay, so now that you understand five key components to behavior analysis. And um, so what tools do we use to actually do the behavior analysis? The simplest form, simplest thing that we use is called the ABC data, right? We take the ABC data, the antecedent behavior, the consequence. And I will have a copy of that that you can download this ABC data sheet. So the ABC data form will be available as a downloadable link. 
in the podcast. Now, if we have any other veteran teachers out there, we certainly welcome your suggestions and your comments. Remember, I do not have the monopoly on what is the proper thing to do, nor do the experts that I interview here on this platform. We are all here just sharing our best practices, talking about things that we've used in the past, talking about evidence-based practices. You, I'm sure, may have more to contribute and we would love for you to do that. And the way that you can do that is by either joining the new Facebook group that I created called Just for Special Education Teachers, where we can continue this dialogue, or you can also share on the Facebook page that I have called Just for Special Education Teachers. We would certainly love to hear from you. Well, I hope that you found this information useful, and I hope that you will be able to employ this behavior analysis, some of the key components of behavior analysis to your students um, so that you can maximize learning in your classroom. Thank you for listening to Just for Special Education Teachers, and we look forward to seeing you here the same time next week.